Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. everyone and welcome back to 007 by 7 the podcast where we are investigating the james bond films seven minutes at a time i'm john ingle and i'm mitch bryan and today we're looking at minutes 42 to 49 which begin with bond telling his host that their hospitality overwhelms me and end with bond accompanying kareem to kill kurlenku on a dark istanbul street in between bond witnesses a violent fight between a pair of gypsy girls that's interrupted by an attack on the camp by kurlenku and Bond is unknowingly saved by sniper Red Grant. After Kareem is wounded and the attack repelled, Bond is given the task of settling the matter between the two girls for the rest of the evening in a luxurious tent. And today we're joined by friend of the show, film professor at UMKC and the Art Institute, and soon to be a visiting professor at Rockhurst University, Aaron Hamerbeck. Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, it's so exciting. I love I love rewatching some of these James Bond movies. It's like it's been so long, and for whatever reason, I couldn't really remember uh, from Russia with Love. Um, this one, like I, I just couldn't put my finger on. Like well, I don't, I don't, you know, it just didn't pop up in my head. So it was so much fun rewatching this for this podcast. You know, these minutes are um, unusual in that. This big action set piece happens at about 45 minutes into the movie. So we're squarely into the first the first half of the second act. And so I just thought, what else happens in other movies at minute 42? <laughs> Here's a quick rundown. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, Marion is blown up and the truck explodes at, at minute 42. In Star Wars, they arrive at Mos Eisley at minute 42. In Streets of Fire, uh, Raven and Tom face off uh, with words after uh, Tom has rescued Ellen Aim. So it's the scene where, where the fire is blazing behind the, t- the two of them. Uh, in Star Trek II, in minute 42 is when uh, Khan's son, I-, I assume that's who he is, says that they have the ship and they're free. And he's sort of trying to get Khan to like maybe second think whether he should... Uh, have vengeance or not or maybe they should just fly away and escape mm. and then in alien minute 42 uh ripley and ash are kind of having their little argument as ash is monitoring kane uh on the on this you know the screen yeah and then 49 minutes which is where these minutes end in alien is the dissecting of the face hugger we, we know these minutes pretty well. If mm-hmm. you didn't realize, John and I looked at Alien one minute at a time. Go listen to that. It's pretty good. So here we've got arguably the, maybe it's the biggest set piece in the entire film. I mean, I know we have a boat chase and a helicopter thing coming up, but this thing is, this is a big action sequence. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there anything that we can make a, 
to say about the structure of this movie? For whatever reason, I feel like this James Bond movie makes me feel like there's more of a Hitchcock, like kind of a nod to Hitchcock in maybe more ways than some of the others. And I think that it's because of those set pieces. For me, the most memorable moments are this scene in the in the gypsy camp. Um, but also the scene where he's being chased by the helicopter, so north by northwest. But also mm-hmm. that great scene where he's being followed by Grant. And he we see him kind of moving. Um, he's lit in the train. So we mm-hmm. see Grant, like, move in and out. And it's like almost every time Bond turns to look at him, he's behind the, mm-hmm. the, the you know, the, the, the panel there. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that's that's totally like strangers on a trade and you know shadow of a doubt and and Mm -hmm. um i for whatever reason and i was trying to think like because i agree with you i think that this is like the biggest set piece um of the film i was trying to think like you know is is there anything hitchcock about this scene and i don't know i mean i think i i think that there's it's just 100 percent James Bond um, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, you know, there's fighting and explosions and girls, <laughs> you know, it's like the only thing lots that's missing, it, lots of girls and lots of girls doing their girl things. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> um, and so, you know, the only thing that's missing here are, are flashy cars and, and, but I mean, we've got one liners um, yeah. and yeah, it's, it's got everything in these minutes, everything bond, um, except maybe cars and gadgets, but that's it. So, I mean, so you're saying that the value of this sequence and coming where it is, is more genre obligations being checked off because it doesn't really do like everything else Mitch mentioned was like a impasse for a character, whether it be the villain in Wrath of Khan or whether it be the. Uh, you know, Ripley starting to get suspicious about Ash or uh, Indy losing the person most important to him. You know, like all these things, nothing even close to that happens here. This is really just like action beat time. Let's go. And uh, and I don't know what Mitch, do you have a an idea here? Is there something about Bond that changes through this sequence other than getting some other than the mission kind of changing but bond nothing really changes for him no i don't think so i think we we do realize that red grant is going out of his way to shadow bond and even saves him so Mm -hmm. that says red grant is way more significant to this story than than anybody has has realized and at least in terms of him as this kind of strange guardian angel for bond Mm -hmm. because they want bond to find Tanya they want to lure him into the to the honey trap so uh I I just find it really kind of an interesting an interesting place to set an action piece and I think maybe they're finding their way what I should have done is probably gone and looked at what happens at minute 42 and other James Bond movies that's true to see whether this is establishing um a formula that that they're going to follow so I'll I'll try to remember to to check this time time mark against some other bond films before we come back next time and see whether I come up with anything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because when watching this, I thought that you could remove this sequence entirely. You know, it, it, we, we do get that incredibly important grant, you know, red grant, these, the strange guardian angel. That's really important, especially in a movie like this where it feels very, 
verbal. Um, it feels uh-huh. like there's a lot of dialogue explaining to us, which is why I think at the end we've got the, you know, the expository, you know, vomit of the mouth by the bad guy before he dies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a movie that has so much, like, sort of conversation about things and this is you know this is such a significant moment because we actually see red grant protecting bond in in a way that like you know so much of the movie is much more like expository and characters talking about things if all we needed out of this sequence was to learn about red grant we could have had a bond walking down the street a sniper with him in his scope then the sniper gets shot then we see red grant with a sniper rifle something like that could have been easily done that way but the, but we want this i think we want this extravagant sequence it's not i'm not saying that this should be cut this isn't one of those moments where you're like we don't need all this we could do it so much simpler that's not what bond is about but getting to the core whatever's the core uh uh value i guess of the sequence it's Really, just the great Red Grant thing, and but the rest of it's so much fun. So and Kareem Bay, the B plot with Kareem Bay, because mm-hmm. until Tanya shows up, this is the James and Kareem movie. Mm. Yeah, and and we will the next the next minutes will take us further into this adventure of Krilenko and Kareem Bay and everything. Let's jump into these minutes. One of the things that I noticed right off the bat after the the dancing girl has gone away. And Bond reaches for his handkerchief and instead of like wiping the sweat off his brow or, or something like that, he just sort of daintily cleans his fingers. You mm-hmm. know, he's he's just <laughs> I just think it's a bit of business that's that's really crazy. And the smile that Connery gives Kareem Bay in this moment as they're talking is the biggest smile he gives to anybody in the entire movie. I mean, it's a big well, grin. He probably has some self satisfaction for actually being gracious and thankful for the hospitality he was given, unlike Kareem Bay has been in the uh, previous <laughs> moments. Like, like it's almost like he's showing up Kareem Bay. Like, see, this is how you thank your hosts. This is how you don't insult their liquor. You thank them gratuitously. <laughs> so he's probably a little self-satisfied about that. But uh, I don't know. Is the napkin and beat an indication, sort of uh, another one of those um, – uh, where we see the difference between cultures here, they don't have napkins here. The, these these folks don't have napkins. You got to pull out your eat own with handkerchief. Your you eat yeah. with your fingers, and you got to pull out your own handkerchief to clean off your fingers. Nobody else is bothering to do that. Uh, so uh, there, it's another indication of the difference in culture between Bond and and these. Uh, yeah, that's Romani. True. Yeah. I wish that I knew more about this so that I could speak more intelligently about it. But watching this, I wish that I knew more about sort of colonialization and these types of things. My, my knowledge of this is so limited to things like Heart of Darkness. Um, but within Heart of Darkness, you have the difference between the betrothed to Kurtz, if you're familiar with the, the, the novella, um, you know, the, the betrothed back in Europe who is dainty and, and uh, you know, uh, polite and soft and, you know, and, and amiable. And then you have his mistress who is primitive and, and you know, sort of ill-tempered. And, and so you kind of see a little bit of that going on in this se- sequence. I mean, with, with the girls obviously fighting, but I wonder if there is kind of that moment in the the you know daintily you know wiping his fingertips you know 
know, to make sure that he's got clean fingers going into the meal um, or after the meal, cleaning off the food, you know, if, if so, some of that's kind of happening here too is, you know, with, with, with uh, Tatiana, you know, she's, it, it, I think it's interesting how a lot of the film she's wearing like a turtleneck, um, you know, she's, she's pretty covered up, right? When she, mm -hmm. when she's like, oh, I'm playing your, your British wife, she starts getting pretty, pretty buttoned up in terms of her clothing and all of that. And up until then she is too, um, to the point where, you know, when she's asked to take her jacket off, she's like, oh, oh um, I'm not, you know, so again, she's very clothed and then the girls are, you know, just barely, barely wearing anything when they're fighting, you know, that's what and I would taking wear. off clothes. Yeah. Yes. To yeah. get more primitive. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No. And so I'm wondering if, if that too, you know, bond being sort of this out of, out of place character does that as, as sort of a, you know, a, a nod to, to mm -hmm. how out of place he is. Yeah. yeah, I found an article called The Representation of Turkish Women in James Bond Films by a person named Karim Bey Raktaroglu, who is a, who is a uh, PhD. And he in this essay, one of the things, he quotes this other writer, Edward Said, in his, uh, his, he says, Edward Said in his seminal work, Orientalism, outlines the process by which this othering takes place and describes it as a style of thought based on ontological and epistemological distinctions between the Orient and the Occident, the East and the West. And he says, although Side's analysis relates to the British-French views that developed as a result of the way the East was perceived, his work nonetheless suggests that Bond-girl representations differ according to the geopol geopolitics of their country of origin. In fact, um, uh, Barron expands on this premise and explains the construction of national identities on the other is performed through the ideology of national identity, patriotic values of the films, which are explicitly British. Bond's adventures are steeped in the discourse of Orientalism, positioning the East as shadowy, incomprehensible, pathologized in order to justify Western imperialism and provide a way for Britishness to, quote, continue to defend in opposition to the dark people of the world, unquote. So it does seem like there is, there's a lot of othering going on here, and and with these the, with both the, with the belly dancer and then these two, you know, darker skinned women, uh, neither of whom are, are Romani. One is Jamaican and the other one is Israeli. But uh, they were looking for dark women to cast in the part. And that's how they came upon Martine Beswick and, and Alicia Gurr. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's like Bond is representing one thing that we are supposed to value and... Um, and and the other people represent something else. And Kareem is this liminal figure in between who is a Britisher at heart, but at the you know even though he's Turkish, and then of course is is condescending toward his gypsy friends uh, in the same minute as he is complimentary of them. So it's like a there's a pretty interesting dynamic going on here, which John has called Kareem out for <laughs> repeatedly. Well, there's something that comes later in these minutes. That pertains to what you just read, so I'm going to wait, but don't let me forget okay. when I we won't. get to it. Um, but we should stick with the with the fight here uh, as it as it begins for the moment, which is, um, I, I mean, what do we have to say? What do we have to say about this? Just even including this in the story at all, <laughs> like what are we doing? I mean, I think 
I, you know, it's it's interesting everything that you read there about sort of limiting the story of people. I I played this uh, TED talk for my students, and I oh I cannot remember the name of the speaker. I should have written it down, um, but she's a Nigerian author, and she talks about how stereo stereotypes aren't wrong; they're just incomplete. And so, you know, Western audiences at this point, 1963, I don't know how many Western, you know, sort of, you know, average you know, viewer of cinema would have known a whole lot about the Romani, would have known a whole lot about belly dancing even. I mean, it's almost like the belly dancing sequence, which I know isn't included in these minutes, but the, you know, the sort of um, the isolation of just her belly in that scene, mm-hmm. um, you know, is is almost clinical. It's almost as if we're like amazed that her body can do that. You know, it's like it's this sort of like whoa kind of thing. You know, it's 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 sexual, but it's almost like she's not. You know, so very rarely do we see her face. So right. it's sexual, but it's so isolated that it's mm-hmm. almost like you know. I say clinical because like when you have surgery. They, you know, they curtain off that spot that they're going mm-hmm. to give, you know, perform surgery. And so, like, it kind of loses some of its sexual, uh, like, sort of power to it. And mm-hmm. so now we have two girls just, I mean, you know, bursting with just, you know, angry, you know, and, and, and the, it's for their lover. Right. So it's like even more like, like, you know, kind of dialing up the scale of sexuality, but then, you know, they come out, they take their scarves off. We see the booty shorts and the, you know, the, 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 it's just, it, it's so, it reminds me a little bit of an earlier sequence when, um, uh, uh, Red Grant is, is being massaged mm-hmm, and the girl mm-hmm. shows up and it's like, you know, when Takes I go, when I go to work, I usually get in my underwear too. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's just <laughs> like, I'm at my job in my underpants, you know, it's right. like, it's so bizarre. And so this film, like I know in, in Dr. No, I was kind of fixated on the hair of the women because it always seemed like they you know when they yeah. saw bond their hair went nuts but in this show you know in this movie <laughs> it's like they feel they take their clothes off they take their clothes off yeah it's like yeah. i mean that's what i would do if i was gonna fight to the death it's like, you know, it's and they're naked in the book fleming oh. has them totally naked yeah. and really really goes over the top with the sadism and how they bite each other's breasts and all sorts of crazy stuff um, he was apparently very disappointed with this part of the film because they, they weren't naked like in his book. And Terrence Young was like, what are you, what kind of movie do you think I'm making here? Um, you really pointed something out because for a minute I was going to be, oh, I'm going to be devil's advocate and say, well, why is this any different than a couple of beautiful girls in spandex fighting it out in a Marvel movie? Um, and I think that in a Marvel movie, they'd be fighting for uh, truth, justice in the American way or whatever. These two women are fighting over who gets to have a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... So I guess that's the difference. So if there's a Bechdel test specific <laughs> to fighting to violence. Is there? Oh, is there? I don't know. No, I said oh. if there oh. is, <laughs> this one doesn't pass the Bechdel. This is exactly what Alison Bechdel kind of thing. They're not talking two women aren't talking to each other about anything but men. In this case, two women are fighting each other over a man only. They don't have their uh-huh. own belief system or anything like that to be 
fighting for. They're just it's for the man, and it's specifically a man of power, you know, the prince or whatever it may you you want to call him. So I would say, yeah, this would be if there was a Bechtel specific test for violence, this would not pass. Where Marvel does pass, you know, like Marvel, they 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 do have their reasons. Their characters are as poorly drawn out as they may be at times. They are drawn out. They do draw characters in Marvel. You know, they try to create some kind of a uh, character out of them, unlike these women who are nothing but fighters for a man. Yeah. I mean, they... are, are, are we at the female mud wrestling scene in Stripes? Is that kind of the level <laughs> totally that we're what I was at? thinking of. Kind of, kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the difference Exploited. being, Just... we'd have to talk, talk about the difference between comedy and action, but uh, mm-hmm. in that case, it's for... It, it's exploitative, but exploitative for laughs, which is a different kind of exploitation, right? Like we mm-hmm. actually invite a certain amount of exploitation for the sake of laughs in our culture, for better or worse, where here it's just, I guess it's titillation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little bit less acceptable, I think, or, or 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 you can argue for it a little less. You could argue for comedy a little further, even if you can't get all the way with Stripes, you know? It's like I'm not going to actually argue that the scene in Stripes isn't, is like right i don't know right. i don't know yeah. i don't think stripes is a very good movie so i'm not gonna right. i'm right. not gonna right. uh campaign for it at all but uh but it's a little different there is a difference between comedy and this kind of a action beat i mean if the if the definition of pornography is to create a sense of arousal in the audience mm-hmm. then this is a pornographic scene even without them having sex or being naked or anything i think of that woman in Amaricorn. Do you, you know, if you see that movie, you know which one I mean, no, the one that comes know. out like panting. She's like, mm-hmm. I mean, she's, she's just like this woman in the, the town that just like has sex with every, with every man. So she's like right. breathing constantly, like panting like a dog almost. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of got that feeling from this. I also thought it was really interesting when they, they like yell out their, you know, their, their, you know, their announcement, their proclamation for why they're fighting. And Bond is like, you know, yeah, I've got it without the subtitles. I, mm-hmm. I, I know <laughs> So, like, they're not even given any sort of, like, declaration of their love. They just, they, again, they're yelled, you know, they yell out something in, you know, and, and we don't, we don't even get the, the, uh, the actual translation. Exactly. Yeah, their, yeah. their exactly. words don't even matter. They might as well just be grunting at each other according yeah. to Bond, you know, well, it's. How many times do we see, like, like, their fingernails too like i mean it's like mm-hmm. claws first you know she pounces on him like a tigress you know it's yeah there's one point where there, there's a real distinct moment where one of them has got the claws out mm-hmm. like hand curled and the other one catches the wrist right before it gets her in the face and pushes it back almost like it's a knife yeah you know, that, that's uh, how girls fight right mm-hmm. they claw each other's eyes they out scratch right? yeah they're real scratchy that's why it's called a cat fight mitch don't you real know scratchy mm-hmm. and real rolly on the ground lots of Ro- rolly on the ground one on top right. of the other you know <laughs> and so like right when we get like some possible actual violence she's got the knife out and oh my god it looks like she's just going to cut her like you know, just stab her. That's when the explosion is, and that's when it stops. So, like, because... it's a bottle, right? It's not a knife. It's a oh, bottle. it's a bottle. Yeah. Okay, all right. right. I thought. I it's thought. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah, that just that didn't makes want sense. To give anybody 
heads oh, explode. And are you right sure in. that it's not like a shard of bottle, or is it actually a bottle? I think bottle it's a full bottle. bottle. It's okay. a full bottle, and what's so interesting is I, as a kid, always remembered this moment being that then there's a gunshot, and it and it breaks the bottle, oh. and but it doesn't. Like It's like that's the cliche from like 30 other movies yeah. that, right, that right. I kind of just like transposed on top of this <laughs> but there's no um insert or no shot of the bottle being shattered by a gunshot it just stops because you know what interrupted when like a villainous horde arrives with guns the first shot should always be some kind of a crazy super That's accurate shot yeah, it's like, hey, don't just go shooting. Make sure to find a target. Make one that's re- kind of interesting, you know, like that bottle. The woman's got the bottle. Shoot. Yeah, yeah, like that knife throw with uh, that that manages to hit the guy in the chest who's got his back to the to, to Kurlenko. Or Bond shooting the guy just to get it. the helicopter too. That's a trick yeah. shot. You know, yeah, yeah it's easy, <laughs> right? It's so interesting, though, that it's a bottle because that actually further proves an idea that I had about this film in the fact that pretty girls are harmless and ugly girls are dangerous because mm. we have and, and, I, and I say that like, you know, knowing that that it's 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 a nasty way to describe the women in Bond. But we have Colonel Kleb. Right. Who is scary? I mean, the fact that she's like, I'll kill you. I I will full on kill you if you walk out of this room. And, you know, she's she's scary. And, you know, Tatiana is pretty harmless. Like Bond, even, you know, he's like, oh, so what if she's trying to, you know, get me You know, a lady? Um, And I think about like how like. You know, these girls, it, it, it is almost comedic. You know, John, you talked about like sort of the exploitation and comedy being more, uh, you know, acceptable in comedy as opposed to action. But there is something kind of funny about this. Like all of the men think of it as relatively harmless. Like, you know, we don't need any translation. You know, um, the girls at the end of the, the minutes here, you know, obviously make amends rather quickly. But it's it's interesting how... Like, you know, even sort of the, the, you know, the femme fatale, the dangerous woman. Which we don't get. dangerous in this, yeah. It will take Pussy Galore Mm -hmm. in Goldfinger and then Fiona Volpe in, and then we'll start seeing this line of these um, beautiful, lethal enemies. But uh, at this point, we haven't got there yet. No, she's just really kind of like a, um, a girl in trouble. Uh, you know, yeah, that whole like fight sequence, even though they're like supposedly fighting each other to the death, even, you know, the, the, you know, as as primitive as they appear to be, they're still doing sort of like that, you know, fight like a girl cat fight slappy thing. Um, right. that doesn't, you know, again, also is very different from a Marvel fight because Marvel fights are going to be, you know, it, it's going to be grounded. It's going to be with a lot of like sort of intentional punches and, and, and kicks and things like that, you know, where you're really trying to cause harm as opposed to this, where it's like, I'm just going to scratch your eyes out. Mm-hmm. It's like a wrestling match with claws. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And yet they rehearsed three weeks on this. Oh wow! Choreographing this this fight between the two of them, which I find to be really interesting. Hmm. I wonder if that was more for the benefit of the crew. <laughs> oh, we're going to need to rehearse the hell out of this one, guys. <laughs> Next episode, Martin Beswick's going to talk all about that. So we'll hear. Maybe we'll we'll get some some clues about that. Uh, so. When this gunshot, non-effective trick shot, <laughs> occurs, it just interrupts everybody, 
and we go into this big action set piece that we were talking about a little bit earlier. The first thing I guess I wanted to mention is that my favorite James Bond piece of music now starts to appear in this film, which is the 007 mm. uh, John Barry piece. And we only get half of it. We don't get the big melody line yet. We just get the syncopated, you know, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah, we don't get and the... We'll get that, yeah, we'll get yeah. that that melody in the next iteration of it later on in the movie. But I just love this piece of music, and mm. I wish that... I when's the I think the last time that I heard it used was maybe Moonraker I think was the last Bond film that used 007 so it's I miss it I hope it shows up in the new Bond film you know I always <laughs> like the fact that in the Mission Impossible movies they use some of those other melodies from the original Mission Impossible themes yeah I was gonna say that this always reminds me a little bit of Mission Impossible and it's not really too uh, degraded or anything it's it's just that it does kind of like suddenly come in as soon as action happens and it feels a little TV to me. It feels a little uh -huh. 60s TV in that sense where it's like, okay, we've got the action. we got the action score. As soon as they start punching, drop that in. And as soon as it's over, we take it out. And that's that's very, like, to me, very 60s action TV. But they probably got it from this. You know, I don't know. It's uh, a new piece of music, so yeah. we haven't heard it before. Right. In this case, we have it. But as the yeah. series goes on, as the Bond series goes on, it starts to feel more, oh, here's that. Here it is again. Mm -hmm. Here's that other that other number. So you've got, it's either going to be the James Bond theme or it's going to be 007 mm -hmm. until they just stop using 007 at a certain point. Maybe it, just, it, maybe it left with John Barry and yeah. nobody's had the guts to redo it. I would have thought David Arnold would have been all over it at some point. It has a wonderful like action cadence to it that I feel like a lot of action films try to borrow from it's it's almost like you know i'm i'm an english teacher so like i i we we sort of look at the way in which language is displayed on the page but something that we talk about in those classes is that when you want you sort of to create um uh you know your heart beating faster your breathing you know start starts mm -hmm. coming faster you know we've got um, shorter clips on the page. So authors will take out those long, languid, run-on sentence, you know, the full, full, right. and they'll get really short clipped so that you're, you, you don't even realize it subconsciously, you're reading at a faster rate mm -hmm. on the page. And I feel like that's what happens in this, in, in the music here, which I love too. It's just such a delightful sort of, act, you know, the, the, James Bond score, it's, it's ubiquitous. I mean, it's like, I'm really glad we didn't have it here. Yes, totally agree. Barry said that he felt this piece is lighter than the James Bond theme. It's boys' adventure music, or mm -hmm. it's adventure music. And so he wanted to signal to the audience, who maybe, for all I know, were, have been disturbed by the pretty harsh music under the Gypsy Girl fight, oh, yeah. to something that you can kind of sink into a little bit more and groove with without it being Vic Flick's guitar, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's got a military cadence to it with the snare drums and a kind of staccato thing that's happening that keeps, that keeps the action going. So there's a couple of interesting camera things that happen. Like right off the bat, we get a so quick zoom, right? Yeah, really quick snap zoom. Yeah. A snap zoom to the first guy who who bites it, you know, on yeah. the top of the gate there. As the fight goes on and we get um, Kareem Bay, his, his gun jams for a while, then he throws a table around. He's pretty, pretty stout guy to be able to do some of the stuff that he does there. But then when he gets shot, the there's a camera shake. 
Mm-hmm. And, I, and it looks accidental to me. It looks coordinated with the guy who runs through the frame. And I'm not sure how that happened exactly, but it he gets shot and then a guy runs through the frame and then the camera teeters to the left just a little bit at that moment. Um, I mean, it looks accidental, right? It doesn't seem like... I don't know. It gives energy, though, I thought. Yeah. Well, that might be why they kept it. And there's a couple of pans that are pretty quick as well that kind of add a little extra zhuzh to the, to the proceedings in Wait, addition what? to... It added some zhuzh? Yeah, you know, zhuzhes it up. Oh, you know. zhuzh. I gotcha. Didn't, <laughs> is that French? Belgian zhuzh. It does or it's feel... Bravo Channel. It's probably something on Bravo Channel. It's probably just, you know, Andy Cohen or something. It is has definitely a... an Andy Cohenism. Is it? Yeah, saying, I, I can, name check I can Andy confirm. Cohen on 007 by 7. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it does add some zhuzh to it. and, and <laughs> But it does look accidental to me. It does not... I don't know how you would plan a thing like that, but I don't know. You guys could argue with me. I I might be wrong. But another trick that's at work, according to Terrence Young on that old Criterion commentary, was he said that sometimes he couldn't find actors who could fire a a blank gun, fire a gun, and not blink. And so he would advance the pop, the sound of the gunshot, you know, so that their eyes were open when the gunshot would go off. So sometimes Mm. the gunshot would be out of sync. A few times you can see they're firing blanks. There's other times when it looks to me like they're just pointing the gun and there's a gunshot sound and there's no blanks happening. So there's a lot of creative trickery going on in, in this action sequence. And and on top of that, we've got a double for Amandara's on most of the shots. Anything where mm-hmm. you see the back of him, it's a double because Clearly. he's sick and barely able to do what he was able to do. Yeah. But this does seem to be the first James Bond movie where the James Bond as agent of chaos begins to emerge where Bond doesn't seem to have a real objective except to just kind of screw everything up <laughs> and just just cause as much trouble as he's going to these fun. two guys are fighting on a table and he's going to push them both in the water. <laughs> he's not going to Yeah, he's having fun. It's not yeah, as soon as this you got to get the idea he takes glee in all of this. I mean, and then he's very smooth with it. Like the machete move is pretty like well coordinated but it had to be yeah. improvised right it's just like wow bond you're ready to just cut cutting tents down on people you know and cutting then walking tents. off casually <laughs> saves a knife fighting comrade who's in over his head so he does save save one guy cuts loose a flaming wagon <laughs> sending it into the fray <laughs> trips a guy i love that you see that he sticks his foot out and just trips this yeah. guy straight up like a fourth grader <laughs> trips a guy and clubs him is that yeah is that the guy that he just kind of like on the ground is like uh-huh. <laughs> you're already yeah, down yeah, but funk you're down <laughs> boom i'm gonna hit you again throws the machete at krilenko but misses shoots an attacker yells at the chieftain to get down saves him by shooting the guy aiming at him then he turns over the table of two guys fighting. It's like, you guys are on your own, just <laughs> going to get wet, and shoots another guy. He's just going to cause whatever damage he can cause. Yeah. I love that idea. Agent of chaos is great. Or, or to quote J.W. Pepper, some kind of doomsday machine boy. That's okay. J.W. Pepper calls him. That's great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that James Bond is very interesting. Now, I have only read Casino Royale. I need to read some of the others because I think that Ian Fleming, what he did wonderfully, like masterfully, is to talk about the actual trauma, the psychological trauma of murdering someone in cold blood. 
And that's somewhat missing from a lot of the, you know, because obviously, you know, 1963, you can't have, you know, man. And and I feel like that's where a lot of the one-liners come in. You know, a lot of times the one-liners are like, you know, uh, as if I didn't have enough problems or, you know, oh, what's what's the one in the next, I'm sure in the next minutes, uh, the she should have kept her mouth shut or, or mm-hmm. um, yeah. and she's had her kicks and all of these things. You know, it's, it's almost always after like something like super something that for a normal person would be incredibly traumatic and i kind of love the fact that like in casino royale you know we're dealing with a lot of like sort of you know paranoia and um you know kind of building up this this you know uh kind of force uh, force field around himself so that he's not, you know, kind of Im- impacted psychologically about, you know, a lot of these things. And so uh, to a certain extent, some of the sex is about that. Um, I, I love the sequence with the girl and, uh, you know, the, the bikini giving him crap in the beginning. Uh, he's like smacking her hand away. She's getting on the phone. But, you know, it's it's a very like, like sort of unusual bond moment to see him kind of uh, at, you know, batching wits, unless it's money penny right mm-hmm. and so to have a sequence like this where yeah he's doing so much um in the chaos and sort of adding to the chaos of the scene uh, is is interesting yeah because i i i love i love the thunk on the head of the guy that just fell the throwing the guys up in the table um it's it's just it, it's it's different type of bond fighting because usually yeah you have sort of the the one-on-one and you can really kind of connect with who's winning and who's losing and this is really just mayhem you know yeah (laughs) yeah it's like that and seems like maybe it's all there with that mindlessness so that the one moment when red grant saves him bond kind of stops yeah and realizes wait a minute what who, who what just happened who shot that guy that that was about to get me i mean he knows something is up and he looks around doesn't doesn't see anybody but it's like that's kind of the that's the emotional moment for bond in this entire action scene which is otherwise just causing a lot of mayhem there was one thing i was going to mention so bond uh in the melee here shoots and kills someone who's about who's fighting with the 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 what is it what do you call him the chief of i can't remember what the main guy vavra vavra Vavra, the head of the gypsies (laughs) and the way Favre stops and goes, thank you, like right in the middle of all this. And it really yeah. reminds me of, I was thinking about it, I was like, man, there's something so familiar and kind of off about that, you know, like something familiar, but something off, not really, you know, there's not much truth to that moment. Yes. Way, right? But it's it reminded me, though, it's something that they send up in the movie, Carl Reiner's movie, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Which is the great film noir send up, you know, spoof. Yeah. But there's this, you know, the third act of that movie takes place in somewhere in South America, and Steve Martin goes down there and meets with the local law enforcement, who's the South uh, uh, South American gentleman, who is no matter what is happening, he's being over overly polite and deferential to Steve Martin at all times, <laughs> and it's like it's like oh they really like this really is kind of an old fashioned movie thing to have the. Sort of like the local guy, the whoever, he's the chief of the tribe or he's the whatever it may be, but he's always going to be deferential to the the big white guy in the, that's in, yeah. on the scene, right? Whoever yeah. the hero is, in, in this case, it's Bond, which then comes to, you know, 
after the fight, and what I wanted to talk about earlier on a little bit more serious of a note is this trope of uh, voluntary servitude or you're now you're now a member of the tribe because you did this thing that we get in these movies, which I think plays into what you read earlier, uh, Mitch. More, you were talking about otherness, otherness as a as an excuse for imperialism. Right. In this case, it's more specific. It's mm-hmm. we can save you, so you'll want us to save you. We you'll want us to take over, right? And they're not exactly what's happening here. He's not saying. I owe a life down. I'm not, it's not Chewbacca and Han Solo or whatever, but he is, it is the same kind of thing where it's, you saved me that now you are one of us or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And it's very much when you really think about it, it's like you're opening the door to the wrong the, person. The empire, here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, you're not, we're not, you're not coming over to live like we do. If now that we've welcomed right, you into exactly. this fold, it's not going to work that way. Whether you think it will or not, you know, poor Vavra, because no, you're, you're inviting in the imperial power. Right. What does does Sala ever yell thank you to Indy in the middle of any I, kind of? I mean, action? Sala is certainly one of those. You kind of. Sala is very much this kind of a character, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. and then he becomes even more exaggerated somehow later when yeah. he comes back in Last Crusade. Um, they're a little bit more even. He's He's got the goofy comedy, like, uh, he's afraid. Uh, you go first, Indy, and all that kind right. of stuff. But uh, <laughs> right. I don't remember him ever really being like that. He's yeah. a pretty he's a pretty cool customer most of the time, actually, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I'm thinking about, you know, there's in Treasure Sierra Madre when the prospector plays doctor and goes to the village and then he's becomes the king of the village yeah. you know yeah. what i mean and, yeah. and things like that that they do in in old movies where it's white it's definitely a white savior thing yeah, it's, man it would be king yeah you i mean gets, it would be king. king he's got his masonic necklace on and suddenly he's the he's the new king of kafiristan yeah. but really all you got to do is save save the chief's life and you can take over the tribe is what it's kind of saying <laughs> so i don't know it's it's something that i that yeah, it definitely speaks to what we were talking about earlier in the episode. There's a moment right bef- there's a moment before Vavra comes over to tell him this this information uh, and praise him, uh, where Bond goes over to Kareem and Kareem's been shot in the arm, mm-hmm. and Bond grabs this black piece of cloth, mm-hmm. and it cuts away for like two seconds to whatever else is going on in the camp and it cuts back and Bond has fashioned an absolutely perfect sling for Kareem to be having his arm in in right. like two seconds. He's yeah. so good He's so that good, he man. slings him, he even goes around and he try, adjusts the back of it for, for Bond walks around and kind of gives it a little little extra tie in the back because he's done that so quickly and efficiently. It's, it's everyone in the Royal Navy has to learn <laughs> how to fashion a sling, you know, from day one. And to make it look so perfect. Well, they're British. It's got to look, you know, they're ro- yeah. the Royal Navy. You've got to uh, look respectable. Zhuzh it up. Yeah. He got, yeah, Is there a John Wayne movie <laughs> where the Duke's got a sling and they're like, what about your arm? And the Duke's like, oh, that's the doctor's idea. And he takes the sling off. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> what, what, what John Wayne movie is that? Anyway. I don't remember. <laughs> but he does pour uh, the the liquor. Yes. The rake, what, he it, does. That's his first, that move, first, first yeah. aid. <laughs> that nasty stuff. Oh, it, now it's, it, now it's uh, to be derided to the point of being an antiseptic, you know? <laughs> 
but like they've insulted the slicker so much. But it, <laughs> and then Bond, yeah, then Bond does refer to it as you know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but he refers to it as the nasty stuff too. It's like oh, you were doing so good, you weren't insulting these people's stuff up, up until this point. But well, but he did, is going to drink it, so I guess that's the highest compliment. <laughs> Did you notice when Vavra comes over, though, and gives Bond all the props that um, he's been shot in the arm and he's got it is giving him absolutely no trouble. He's got a bullet wound in the arm Mm -hmm. and he's even got his gun still slung over that shoulder. It doesn't hurt him at all. And he just got done torturing a guy. Yeah. All in a day's work. Yeah. Well, I guess we've also got more of this imperialist father knows best business with um, Mm -hmm. with Bond being tasked with deciding the fate of the two girls and mm-hmm. which who who's what's going to happen. So, can I just be really like dumb and just ask the obvious question? Does he sleep with them both? Is this yeah. a menage a trois that, that yes. he's he's taking them both to bed and then they don't care about the they don't care about the guy anymore that they were fighting yes. over? Yes, I all think, of that. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's you know the fact that they're like pouring him drinks and sewing up his shirt even though we know that he can he can make a sling so he can make a beautiful sling but he can't (laughs) sew his shirt Um, you're right it's like she's cutting the thread with her teeth i don't know yeah because he can but he doesn't have to yes (laughs) Um, (laughs) well let me ask you this colors by the way the girl Mm. that was fighting in green is now in red and the girl that was fighting in red is now in green i'm gonna see whether we can get any information on that from martine well i get it sorry go ahead oh no because they're friends now they they share each other's clothes now they share clothes because that's what girls do right they share each other's clothes all the time right and and each other's man i guess that's the power of bond though he you know he can he can bring you know these these warring factions together just with the power of his love it's it's Mm. it's amazing but but (laughs) do we really but we really don't want to see that right do we want to see james bond in bed with two women women having you know (laughs) <laughs> right. We don't want to somehow we don't want to see that, but we're going to imply that that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is definitely we don't take this scene as far as them actually lying on the bed and then him saying something uh, pithy right before we fade out. Like we don't even need it to go that far. You know, it's just the implications there. The little the, you get a little joke beat at the end and then you're out. Is it comedy one. then? Are we back it's, to? Oh, yeah. Is oh, this, this is actually... for sure. This is for yeah. sure. Comedy. Yeah. Right. It's almost Lubitsch like, you know, it's like it's it, it, the menage a trois. It's like, ooh, you know, like it, it's almost even more shocking because we don't see it. You know, it's like they're just sharing breakfast in the morning afterwards. So, yeah. Except with Lubitsch, it would be one woman and two men. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, right. but my question was, I going back because we kind of jumped over it, Bond request so it's like oh i can have anything i want stop the girl fight okay so first of all i'm kind of like i didn't get the idea that he cared whether they had a fight before so this is a little bit weird but then when told oh well you sure you settle it then he's like oh so if i don't have any enough problems like wait what like you're the one that just you just put your you know will towards him you just are the one that said don't have the girl fight anymore he says yeah whatever you want Oh, no, I have to decide. It's like, wait, I don't quite understand. Is there something I'm missing about that? I know it's supposed to be just a joke, uh, whatever, but it kind of doesn't flow right to well, me. What he says is, this is going to take a while. 
you know? Well, that's what he says after the, yeah, after that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm back on the previous oh, scene okay. because we kind of skipped over it. Yeah, the, Because yeah, he, because he says, as if I don't have enough problems, yeah. gulp, gulp, gulp. And it's like, wait, what, what did that, you just seemed to have something you cared about for a second. One second, even if I don't quite believe you cared about it. You're like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not feeling so good about this girl fight that they're having. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, you, you know, if that's what you want, uh, now I have to decide. I don't get it. Is there something I'm missing about that? Right. They're ready to kill each other. And then they come walking into the tent together uh, at, on their best behavior. So now he's supposed to decide. Is that the, what the what he was telling him? Okay, you have you decide. I'm going to send them into the tent and you talk to them. I don't quite get what all this means. I mean, outside of the simple explanation we had that they just have sex with each other. They're going to clean up, switch clothes, and they come into the tent to see Bond. And they, they must, I mean, and they'd rather do this than kill each other, I guess. I guess. Point. There's some lack of connectivity, starting with the mentioning of the girl fight again, where he says, have him stop the girl fight, to the end of the scene in the tent. There's something that just doesn't, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> well, so did he go tell him to stop the fight and then sent them to the tent? I mean, what is. Yeah, that's what has to happen. I right? mean, the chief but, goes but he to the said girls. you. You take it. So then, what's the problem that he has so many of? I don't get what. The, as if I don't like, have. If you don't solve it, we're going to fight again tomorrow night. He's simply talking about he. Does he realize he's going to have have to have sex with these two women, and that's what he means by as if I don't have enough. Pro-. I don't get that line. That's what I'm getting at. I'm working all around trying to figure out what that he, line. He's a means. hardworking imperialist with a lot of things to do on his to do list, and the last thing he needs to do is settle this. Settle the squabble. He just wanted Javavra to end it and then call it a day. But oh no, it's, there's is more it like a Solomon kind of thing? It's like Solomon, yes. you know, is yes, perfectly willing Solomon. to to invade your country, take over. But if you come to him with a baby, if two women come to him with a baby, he says, oh, "I'll just cut it in half." <laughs> well, I, I don't have time to deal with this. Yeah, like, you I took over the country. Both. That's that's the same. It's the same but different. No. <laughs> I've, I'm really reaching with with these analogies, but whatever. Well, Vavra says uh, his heart is too soft to be a real gypsy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm wondering if that's sort of like, oh, you know, oh, you can't handle the viciousness of a, you know, of a, a vicious cat fight. Of watching a girl fight. Wait well, we minute. don't have to do the fighting. We just watch these girls fight and you can't mm-hmm. handle that. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I don't know if that's something to sort of bridge the, uh, the yeah, trying to figure It's, out. again, that representation of gypsies as being, um, you know, primitive, mm-hmm. animalistic it's, that's all that. That's mm-hmm. all those horrible stereotypes. Played for laughs, essentially in this, in these moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I th- fourteen minutes almost of, of well, take the fight out of it. So okay, so ten minutes, t- solid ten minutes of just watching women. Mm-hmm. First we watch them dance, then we watch them fight. It's it's extraordinary that it takes up that much. There's that much time there dedicated really to it in the movie. That's a whole lot of watching women without ever hearing them really speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the belly dancing girl is always just smiling. Um, and her smile is very strange to me. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and then we see them fight. And then we see them love. And, yeah, it is. It, it It's kind of like in the way that the gypsies are kind of diminished down to these single notes about who they are and what they represent. Um, so are so are women in this sequence. So, you know, so so much sort of bodily representation without any sort of intellect or or conversation. 
um, even, you know, not knowing what, what happens, you know, do, do they, do they make love to James Bond or not? It is implied. They all seem like pretty happy, happily, you know, having breakfast and sewing, you know, shirts afterwards. So they, they've definitely bonded <laughs> um, in some way. Awful, awful. Um, but the, uh, I mean, we know that something happened, you know, the, the evening that they, they would be so, again, smiling as they, you know, sew his shirt and, you know, and, and sit beside him. It's just this, this sort of, it, it, I don't know, to me, it's a little bit more cringy when the girls don't speak, you know, when they're just uh-huh. like on celluloid. Yeah. just to be you know feasted upon you know pantomime fe- girls feast your eyes yeah yeah there's another essay i'll bring up it's, i just i think it's amazing how uh all this bond scholarship stuff how mm. how intense it has gotten yes and there's one essay that's in lisa funnels for for his eyes only book which is uh by this guy charles aj burnett's and the essay's called bonds bit on the side and um, it's referenced in this other uh, representation of Bond and Turkish women. But this guy, Charles uh, A.J. Burnett, comes up with this idea of the James Bond fluffer girl. Fluffers, he claims, are marked by the disposability that distinguishes them from the Bond girl. They also signify alternatives to the Bond girl's passivity and powerlessness, enjoying a wider spectrum of agency for the limited time that they are on the screen. Burnett's compares these archetypes, which can be found in all the Bond films, to the fluffer in pornographic movies. Their purpose is to sexually prepare Bond for the main girl. And so here he's had three women. He's slept with three women up to this point in the movie, up to minute 49 or whatever. And they're, they're preparing him, I guess, for... For Tanya, they're utilitarian mm. almost. Yeah, it's just they're they're being yeah. utilized, um, and you know, and I don't know. I, I grew up watching James Bond. I mean, my my dad had it on all the time. I mean, especially during like marathons, it was just nonstop James Bond. And I even when I was younger, I struggled with any sort of believability about the Bond girl being special because of how sort of you know, used girls are, you know, if, if you're introducing a character, they, girls are used. And so this idea of like a girl kind of making it into any other films, any sort of future films as, as this sort of, you know, and honestly, I don't know if we would want that, you know, if we want, I think, I think it's so weird in this film when we see a child, so weird. And then, and then she, Tatiana talks about like, Oh, do we have 12 children? What about a little boy? You know, it's like, so not James Bond to say with with a single woman and so even the bond girl even the girl that you know sets the stakes and suddenly there's something to you know kind of fight for um is still just kind of i I don't know it just comes off as as being um insincere to me even even the bond girls and i love bond girls and i and, you know and I, I i love i love all that they do and you know i i some sometimes they can be really really amazing and but for all of that like their relationships to bond just also feel utilitarian to me i just yeah. i never feel like there's sincere romance and i again i don't think we want that 
Well, for the plot mechanics of this story, at least Tanya is being put up mm. as a utilitarian object yes. for Bond. Like she's being forced by the state. She's being pimped out by the state to go and sleep with this guy against her will or um, with a certain ambivalence of I have to do it for the state or I'm going to use it as a way to escape. But in either case, she's going to use Bond to get where she wants to go or get what the state wants from her. So yeah. at least it kind of there's kind of machinery that's in place that kind of makes that work. It, it's much harder to get a hold of some of these other Bond girls who aren't either criminals doing their own doing their own thing like Pussy Galore or working as like in Spy Who Loved Me working for the opposition. All that said, the one thing that these latest Bond films have given us is a continuity of character. The ghost of Vesper haunts all of the episodes. Yeah. It looks like Lea Seydoux's character, Madeline Swan, is coming back in the next Bond film. And in a way, this Daniel Craig series of films has been kind of a giant TV series. It's mm -hmm. been more serialized than any of the other Bond films. And even though the books have a certain serialization quality, it's really gone above and beyond with, with that aspect, for better or for worse. Yeah, I was going to say that there are two instances, right? Maybe I'm missing one or two. Two instances of Bond girls having uh, where I believe the romantic connection, and one of them is Vesper Lynn, and the other would be Diana Rigg. You know, in, Tracy, in, yeah, great. That's it, though, right? I'm am I the Spy Who Loved Me comes kind of close. I I don't know why that that movie has more believability to it as far as the relationship, maybe because it's more complex. There's actual complexities and more agency involved. Uh, mm -hmm. in it in in the bond girl uh in that one but yeah you're right pretty much never pretty much never do i actually believe that there, he's not just going to dump her at the end of this adventure you know but um and bond and tracy talk about kids even in honor yeah, yeah. secret service how many kids are we going to have and he's actually engaged in that conversation and 100 percent believe it and makes the ending of that movie so much more effective and um, of course, they couldn't just—they couldn't let Bond have it, right? You know, you can't let him have it. Mm -mm. But uh, uh, but they might let him have it at the end of this. I wouldn't be this, surprised. This upcoming one, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see whether they're going to try to thread that needle of, okay, we're going to let him have the girl at the end and walk off into the sunset, mm -hmm. knowing this is his last outing as James Bond, and then I don't envy them having to deal with the stupid fan theory that. 007 and the name James Bond is something that is simply just handed over to another man and he you know I mean I just I hope they that's the they're kind gonna of have thing. to reboot the franchise again I guess and just it'll be interesting to see how they do it yeah it's the it's something that I wouldn't be surprised we'd get at the end of this you know Bond hands over the reins to somebody else and like you're James Bond now mm -hmm. here's the identity and then he goes off to buy a nappies at the supermarket <laughs> because he's a dad now um i wouldn't be surprised at all if we had something like that at the end of this yeah and it's not totally a fan theory because the, it, it really does have its origins in the in the comedy casino royale where there mm -hmm. are multiple james bonds running around and they they play that game so we've got this um sort of cheesy goodbye where the gypsy girls both wave goodbye to bond <laughs> as he gets into the car and uh is handed his sniper scope mm. that he'd had one of Karim's son pick up the hotel. That would have been an interesting conversation. <laughs> and so we we go through this dissolve and we come around the corner of some lattice work and we see this closer medium shot of Karim 
who says to Bond uh, as the minutes wrap down, twice Krilenko is missed and he will succeed this next time unless I kill him first. Did anybody think about Krilenko has been terrible at getting any of this work done for the whole movie. What what makes Kareem think he's going to get him the next he, time? He understands the rule of threes. He's like, and he says, look, there you go. There's been two beats of the same thing. The third one has to pay off. So, and, and we know this. So, yes, I got to take care of it first. So, his only chance is to subvert the rule of threes. That's what he's getting at. No, that would be a little too meta for a James Bond movie, but that's all I got. I don't know. I sometimes they have people say things with this affirmation, like this confidence. I will be dead at the end of the day, if this doesn't happen. And then if you think about it at all, you're like, wait, why necessarily today? <laughs> wait, I mean, wait, what? Yeah, I, they really just, just for the sake of the story, they really need the character to say it and to say it with conviction. So we go along with it and just say, yep, that's the ticking clock. And then you go, wait a second. Why don't you just leave? Or <laughs> whatever it may be. There's always some other explanation. But yeah, that's what I think we got here. It's really just uh, stakes. We need stakes. They're kind of artificial stakes, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah. and we need to resolve this. What seems to be the the James Bond, Karim Bay versus Kurlenku plot, which right. has been going on, chugging right along, like you said, with three very dramatic beats, and so mm-hmm. that's got to either be shut down or has to transform into something else for right. to keep the narrative going with these two. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm. I'm trying to think of how to how to describe it the way the way that he sort of confides in Bond. He's like, you know what? Now is the time. I have to do this. It's like, well, you're not going to do anything with your arm in a sling, but you can use my shoulder. You know, I'm I'm jumping ahead kind of thing. But like, yeah, I mean, these it, it, it's it's this it's the James Bond as like a buddy comedy duo is always a little <laughs> funny to me too is how he he connects with these characters and kind of just immediately like if if they're you know if they could sort of spar with the jokes they connect even more in in their chemistry um and so it's it's sort of an odd sort of like confiding in him you know that i i need to i need to take him down now even though like you said like this last you know fight this last um uh battle it was they they you know they set fire to a bunch of stuff and they you know they killed people but then they just ran away they still had massive forces yeah. like it's not <laughs> yeah. like they were down to yeah. two guys and they go right, flee right. into the, the 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 forest they're like you know <laughs> they they still have massive amounts of people and they just mm-hmm. retreat it's funny Krilinka should have just got up there where Red Grant was sitting and shot Kareem from up above yeah. you know it's like. Just doesn't think it through. Nope. <laughs> Typically inferior enemies, right? That's what that's what TIE fighter stands for. <laughs> what? <laughs> TIE fighter, typically inferior enemies. Uh, twin ion engines. Oh, oh, okay. I'm <laughs> sorry. On. I thought that was what it stood for. Okay. <laughs> Typically inferior enemies. I've never yeah, heard that one. That's funny. That is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it does kind of, their retreat does kind of remind you of the Death Star escape and how. Uh, you know, stormtroopers are running away, and they're kind of like, "Man, you, you've got this is your fortress, and you've got probably a million soldiers on this thing." And they get away, and then, but then at least you learn that it was all a setup. You know, in Star right. Wars, here we don't get right. we don't get that. It's like that just no. doesn't make any sense why they retreat here at all. <laughs> 
Uh, well, that brings us to the end of these minutes. Any any other thoughts from anybody? No, I think that's everything I had. Yeah. Okay. Fun. <laughs> I, I, Aaron, are you you're out on social media or anything? Is anything you want to um, plug or point us towards or where people do? Do you do any of that stuff? Oh no, not not right you're at the too moment. Busy. I, you're well, too busy you know, teaching classes I, and with kids. I and, know. Yeah. I'm really trying to like get into my girlhood and cinema blog and possible upcoming book. I'd love to get like a podcast going, but yeah, right now the the life of an adjunct is so you know, take on as many classes as you possibly can so that you can't do anything other than that. Yeah, well, life will get better when you when you get into your visiting position. I am looking uh, forward next, to next that. Next fall. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. And thank you for having me on this. This was great. Yeah, oh, we cool. always love having you Aww. on the show. You know, any any chance we can we can get you on is always great. Well, I it's love it's like you guys. everybody can set their phasers to nerd <laughs> power. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, John, you want to take uh, us out? Sure. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this week on 007 by 7 You can find our Patreon episodes over at patreon.com forward slash Alien Minute. You can find our Twitter uh, account at 007 by 7 podcast or you can do Alien Minute Pod if you want to follow the old Alien Minute show as well. And uh, I guess that's it. We'll see you next week. <laughs>